0: This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup.
2: And my name is Shelby, also known as Cup.
1: Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe, from assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more. We will seek to uncover it all. So join us and maybe even take a leap of faith.
2: Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby or She Cup, and I am one of the co hosts and co creators of this podcast. And I'm here with my other co host and co creator.
1: Yeah, so I'm Austin, also known as Teacup.
2: So I know we just got done with a character deep dive on a person whose name starts with E, Um, but we're going to do another one, right?
1: (laughs) That is great. We just can't get enough of these character deep dives.
2: (laughs) There are so many good characters in Assassin's Creed and like more, I feel, than um, most other RPG games because... There's just so many historical people and like modern day people, so we get double the people. So we're just going into some character deep dives. But before we get started today, we have a guest with us, and um, Ben of Tamaria is joining us. Welcome, Ben. Hello. We are so excited you're joining us for this extra super special character deep dive. Um, so, why don't you tell our listeners how we know you, um, how they can know you, if you have podcasts, all that kind of stuff?
0: So, yeah. Um, so, if you listen to any of Teacup's other shows, uh, you might have heard me on the Holocron Histories, uh, Star Wars versus uh, Legends versus Canon. On all that fun stuff. And then I also host my other show, Wizarding World Lorecast, both on the Robots Radio Network, part of the like just like this show. Yeah. I mean, I stream we stream on my Twitch channel at Ben and Tamaria. So you can find me there when we stream the podcasts. You can at some point I'm going to start streaming games. Who knows when at this point? It's too it's too chaotic right now.
2: I completely understand. So y'all stream Holocron on Tuesday nights, right? Yes.
0: Tuesday nights at uh, 8 p.m. for Holocron and 10 p.m. on Wednesday nights for the Wizarding World.
2: Awesome. So before we get into the lore, Ben, why don't you just share with us like what got you into Assassin's Creed, what you love about it and why you keep playing the games?
0: So what got me into Assassin's Creed was honestly like we just I randomly picked up the game at a GameStop Um, funny enough I work there now too Um, (laughs) but uh, start getting into the game Um, I've always been like a history nerd like I love history and love learning about history so playing the game and then researching about the game and finding out like a lot of things that in the AC1 specifically majority of the game if not like almost 80 percent of it was true to fact of what actually happened in history and then ever since then like i was hooked every single game i just love the history of the assassin's creed series how they go into history and play with it and alternate a bit but still keep it as historical accurate as possible and thrown in like some twists in there here and there
2: yeah, that's also one of my favorite things about the series. I was a history minor in college and um, I didn't think I liked history until I had a professor who was like, I hate dates. Dates are the worst. Like memorizing dates is not what history is. It's about the story of uh, like what happened to the people. And um, that's what Assassin's Creed is to me. And and so I love that about the story. And you're right, like most things that they have in these games is I would say 80, 90% accurate to, to history. It's not like a 100% thing, but like the the big plot lines, like, yeah, okay, that, that happened. Maybe not exactly in the way they say it did, but this major event happened. Um, and I, I really enjoy that.
1: With the thing about the people and what happened to the people, most of the assassins, with the exception of a few, are just everyday people that get roped into this assassination i mean uh, with the exception of like Arno dorian or you know our ta- our character for today they're just everyday people
2: true well if y'all don't have anything else to add we can get into the lore
1: all right well today our character deep dive is none other than the assassin we all fell in love with the assassin who holds a special place in our heart the only assassin to have multiple games where he is the protagonist. None other than Ezio Alditore de Firenze. And so, yeah, so I just wanted to, I have a little bit of fun facts. First, Ezio is the only assassin to have multiple games featuring him as a protagonist. Ezio has the highest, the Third highest Templar Order of Ancients kill hit, kill number. The only people to hit higher than him are Cassandra and A4.
2: Do you think that that's just because Odyssey and Valhalla are bigger games?
1: I think a little bit. And Ezio has three games. in there, Right. But even Assassin's Creed 2 itself you're killing at least six or seven templars per family so there's like 15 assassinations or so in assassin's creed to itself and a similar number in the other ones
2: Hmm. that's really interesting does it include like so that's just like the major main mission templars like that's not counting like Just little side quests and stuff.
1: Templars that trigger a, like, animus scene where you talk to the person as they're dying. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I did not know that.
1: Third highest. Eivor and Cassandra technically get under there. But that's also just because, like, hunting down the, like, order members in the other games is, like, a side activity. Whereas in Ezio, the assassinations. So he has the highest hit count of assassinations that relate to the main story. Impressive. Okay. He's an impressive individual. And so I will tell you, this is part one. So we will do Ezio in two parts. Uh, most of our main protagonists, just expect if it's a main protagonist, it's going to have multiple parts. Um, but today we're basically covering most of the events of Assassin's Creed 2, but we'll get into this. So the first thing we've got is we're going to start at the very beginning. So Ezio is obviously born in firenze or Florence in fourteen. 14- 59. Uh, He is the second child of Giovanni and Maria Alditore. Though he was thought to be stillborn when he is first born. uh, That is faded away when he starts crying. And his father says, quote, a fine set of lungs.
2: That means he was loud. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) I also thought that there was. So this scene plays out and it's the opening it's one of the opening scenes of assassin's creed 2 you know lucy wheels desmond into the animus and you like have this traumatic birthing scene like which i guess like when you're in the animus you like experience what your ancestors is experiencing so like is desmond experiencing birth
2: i i feel like that would be more traumatic than like anything else desmond has gone through to do remember a birth it like no absolutely not no thank you um
1: so anyway we see that but there's like a weird scene where like Ezio isn't crying and they're like it's a boy and Giovanni is like staring at that and I always interpret it as like is there something wrong with boys I thought boys were wanted in this time but it's because they thought he was stillborn in case anyone was confused by that scene like me a 14-year-old, 15-year-old man who did not know anything about childbirth. But anyway, so Ezio is born into a noble, fam- a noble Italian family. So he lives a pretty luxurious life in Florence. Uh, I said earlier in the episode that most of the assassins do come from everyday people. Ezio is an exception to this rule, though not as big an exception given his history that happens there. Um, but he, with his siblings, uh, Frederico, Claudia, and Petruccio. So they all live together. He apprentices to a banker who is friends with his father, uh, not knowing that his father was actually a member of the Assassin's Order. And so, up until this point, we've really only seen Assassins who are like born into the Order because Altair's Assassin, or father was an Assassin. Ezio's father was an assassin, so we haven't really seen anyone who, like, joins the assassins at this point until we get to Connor later. But, so, he lives all that for his first, like, 17 years, and then we get to 1476, which is the magic year. Ezio would turn his eyes to the beautiful Christina. Who she would uh, think he's shy and foolish, which it seems strange when you think about Ezio. But he would not really take notice with her. She would think he was silly and kind of ignores him until he comes upon her with uh, Veneri Depoxy, and he is being rather forceful with his advances and romantic intentions if you want to call it that um and Ezio basically intervenes and prevents that and that w- would win him Christina's affections also in 1476 because Ezio is just known for trouble Ezio would have a fight with a bridge on Vieri with Vieri and he would beat up some Potzi Thugs and he would get wounded and then saved by his brother, Federico, who would mock him as he takes him to a doctor for the little scratch on his mouth. Um, and that is the opening to Assassin's Creed 2.
0: So the whole thing with Christina, I want to re- want to remind the audience, those are side quests and revelations.
1: Revelation or...
0: I want to say it was... love. Re- I want to say it was Revelations, because that's the, I think you had the Christina missions in that one.
1: So, yeah. So, that's that's interesting, because you do that. You do the Christina missions in one of the games, and you're going back to the two timeline as you're doing that. But, yes. Those are sites. So, you, if you're wondering where this information comes from, you can play them. If you buy the Ezio Trilogy on Xbox, on PlayStation, on Switch, wherever you want to buy it, you will get to those missions. So, after the fight... Ezio would then go back to the uh, auditory house and he would do various attacks for Patruzio. He would gather some feathers. Uh, He would beat up uh, Claudia's two-timing fiance who is cheating on her, which I think just immediately wins your respect for Ezio when he's like, okay, you're two-timing on my sister. Okay, now I'm going to cave your face in. So then he would also help his mother deliver some goods where he would meet none other than his best friend-to-be, Leonardo da Vinci. And whether they are more than friends, I will leave up to the imagination of the viewer.
2: (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think... I think the game implies that Da Vinci has a crush on Ezio, but I don't think Ezio reciprocates that. That's my that's that's my headcanon. I I
0: would I
1: would agree with that. Ezio? I said doesn't everyone have a crush on Ezio?
2: I mean, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak for everyone, but I do, absolutely. I mean, not when he's like a teenager obviously, but like in in um the second of his games absolutely brotherhood thank you yes
0: it's it's the goatee right
2: yes yes i mean yes <laughs> yes i had fully admitted
1: <laughs> but you don't but you don't prefer like old etzio with the full beard
2: no i don't
1: oh, that's interesting
2: i'm in my 20s so old etzio is too old for me right now ask me in 10 years and maybe i'll have a different opinion
1: I mean, he's like 40, 50 in Revelation.
2: Yeah, that's like 20 plus years older than me. Feels a little weird.
1: Okay, you're like saying it like you're 23, 24. You are older than that.
2: Okay, well, we're getting into some dangerous territory here. So let's move on.
1: Anyway, after he would return, then his father would send him on some errands, some weird errands where he meets a thief and a courtesan and goes and visits a pigeon coop, which we know as like, oh, that's assassin stuff. But Ezio doesn't know that. So that's strange. And then after he returns home, Ezio finds the house ransacked and his fathers and brothers had been arrested. Ezio goes to the prison where his father and brothers are being kept, he climbs the wall to speak with Giovanni. Giovanni tells him to retrieve some of the do- some documents in the house and bring them to Alberto Alberti, who is like kind of like a judge official for Florence. Ezio goes there. He finds the documents. He finds an assassin outfit. He finds a hidden blade, and he tries to go take them. And he takes them to huberto to try to save his father and brother and turns out huberto is a templar which the game kind of tells you i mean when you open a door and a creepy person with a hood is standing there you're like oh this isn't gonna work out um and the next day Ezio is unfortunately forced to watch his father and brothers be hanged and Ezio branded a criminal which i think you know It's a bold, bold opening for like a 2010-11 game.
0: 2009. Was it that? Mm -hmm. AC1 was 2007. AC2 was two years later. And then Brotherhood was 2010.
2: Yeah, I remember that because AC2 and Dragon Age Origins came out the same year. Yep. And Assassin's Creed. No, they don't. (laughs) Assassin's Creed 1 and Mass Effect 1 came out the same year too, I'm pretty sure.
0: And they clearly don't look the same either. Not
2: at all.
1: <laughs> but that time it's reversed because yeah. Mass Effect 1 looks a lot better than Assassin's Creed 1.
2: Oh, yeah. But
1: Assassin's Creed 2 is infinitely better than Dragon Age Origins.
2: True, true. It's really funny how that works. Um, but I don't know if I agree with you that it's that bold. I mean, because think about it. Like Think about Mass Effect 2. Like They kill the main character five minutes into the game right like i don't know i just feel like there are all kinds of things that happen in video games and so i don't know if you can say that it's bold but if that's your opinion that's fine i think i just disagree
0: dragon age origins if you do the human noble your entire family gets slaughtered there
2: thank you thank you ben (laughs) exactly
1: they can all be bold (laughs) they can all be bold
2: all right all right
1: Dragon Age Origins, the city elf origin, is the boldest of all the origins.
2: That's true. No, that's fair. Um, But as this is not the Dragon Age lore cast, um, let's get back to Ezio.
1: So, Ezio then has to, he interacts with one of his, like, housekeeper's maids, who tells him that she took his mother and sister to a safe place, which turns out to be a brothel, which Ezio shows up and is just like, you took them here? It comes out, and he meets an assassin, though he does not know she's an assassin named Paula. Paula is actually what it is. Uh, Paula agrees to help Ezio, quote unquote, survive by teaching him how to blend with the crowds and steal from unsuspecting citizens. Now, I do want to pause here because we've always had kind of like stealth mechanics, like in the Elder Scrolls series, in. Other games like that. But this one, this game was the first game I played where you had an interactive stealth environment that you could move in and out of.
0: I was going to say AC1, but then I thought, oh, wait, you have to hold a button and you just blend in with priests.
1: But this one, you could really just move around. As long as you had three or more people with you, you could move and blend and do all that, which I thought was really cool. And then, obviously, to steal from unsuspecting citizens, because nothing makes the mark of an upstanding citizen than let me rob from everyday people. But, you know, you gotta get that art shop in the Monterey Joni, you know? Um, so, she also encourages him to seek out Da Vinci, who helps him build the Hidden Blade for him, and provides him some training exercises for learning how to assassinate with the Hidden Blade. So, armed with his blade and skills of Um, blending and deception he seeks out for his revenge against Roberto but before he does that we get him in Assassin's Creed whichever game contains the Christina memories Uh, Ezio goes to retrieve his family's body with the help of Christina and so basically Christina helps him cut down those bodies and give them a proper burial by putting them into the river in Florence um It's a very sad memory. Uh, A lot of the Christina memories are very sad. Um, But it's not Assassin's Creed if you don't cry. Um, And so after that, after burying his family, Ezio goes to complete his first assassination with Roberto, where he sneaks into like this kind of art show. It's really interesting. And then he just like, It's not even like he jumps on them or like blends in the crowd. Like Ezio straight up just like walks up to him and like punches him with the hidden blade. And then he proclaims that the Auditories are not dead and that they live through him to a big crowd of people. Which this is a theme that we're going to talk about with Ezio. Sometimes I love Ezio, but sometimes he is not a very good assassin.
2: Yeah, I do feel like he is... I feel like Ezio and Connor actually have some major similarities and people criticize Connor, but not Ezio. Um, And what I mean by that is that they're both brash. They both get consumed by revenge and justice for their families. These are major character arcs and character themes that they both have. They both exhibit these traits. We don't always pick up on it. I don't think with Ezio and maybe that's because he has so much more time to develop um, and grow, but especially in Assassin's Creed um, 2. I think you see that.
0: It's his charisma.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely that too.
1: Um, And then with the help of Paola, uh, Ezio learns to rid himself of notoriety by tearing down posters and killing officials and bribing uh, town criers. Because uh, again, nothing says man of the people than using your money to influence... Political and justice systems. And he learn and he escapes Florence with his mother and sister. And so as he's trying to escape Florence, he plans to take his mother and sister to Spain so that they'll be safe, but they're going to stop by Joni to uh basically stop at their family villa. They're attacked by Vieri de Pazzi. They're saved by their uncle Mario, which is the first ever big Easter egg we get in the Assassin's Creed where Uncle Mario literally goes, it's a me, Mario. Best
0: line that you could probably get in the game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I literally laughed out loud for like five minutes when I played that the first time. I was like, they did not do this. They did. They did.
1: So Mario saves uh, them from Varian. He takes Ezio and his family into the villa and teaches Ezio about the assassins and trains him and tries to recruit him into this cause and teaches him about this prophecy about a prophet and two pieces of Eden and a vault somewhere. We also learn, because she deserves her own little shout out here, Claudia takes over the bookkeeping and managing the restoration of the villa, which... Is what I have spent my most of my time doing in Assassin's Creed Two, is finding money and upgrading the villa so I can get more money. Shelby, how much money did you have when you ended Assassin's Creed Two?
2: I have no idea. It was a lot.
1: I think too, I had over like too hundred thousand hundred thousand florins.
2: Florins, yeah. I was I well I remember. When I ended the game, I had so much money, and then the next game starts, and I had all my money, I had all my stuff, I was happy, and then all the things happened, and you don't have it anymore. I was very, very, very livid. Right,
1: so yeah. So then, uh, Etsy would then accompany his uncle to Tuscany, where Vieri DePazzi was causing all kinds of trouble, because if anything is taught us that history, the children of noblemen do nothing but cause trouble. So after infiltrating the city, Ezio would assassinate Vieri and perform his second assassination. Uh, after the battle, Ezio returns to Florence, where he learns of a plot to kill the Medici, who are the governors of Florence. Um, and see- and seize power by the Pazzi. This is also where you meet and La Volpe, who is a leader of the Florentine. Florentine Thieves Guild, and his name means the fox. So, after he learns about this uh, meeting and that they're going to try to kill the Medici, uh, Ezio goes to stop them from seizing the control as they're going to basically attack this family while they're going to church. And he does save Lorenzo, Lorenzo de Medici, but he does not save his brother Giuliani. So, after making sure Lorenzo is safe, Ezio hunts down Francesco de Pazzi, the head of the family, and kills him, thus ending the rebellion in Florence. Ezio then returns to Tuscany, where he hunts down the remainder of the Pazzi, and ending with Jaco de Pazzi, who is actually not killed by Ezio, and is killed by the Spaniard, Rodrigo Borgia, where... Ezio meets him and he also learns of a plot in Venice that he needs to hunt down and that is really the end of the popsy. That's kind of the end of what you could consider like act one of Assassin's Creed 2.
2: I will say now that like we're going through this that game is so long. Like it is so long.
0: 16 sequences?
2: Yeah. Something like that. With the, like added, added,
0: with with
1: the, the added, added DLC. The added DLC extra sequence is 16. 15, 16, something like that. Yeah. Whereas um Revelation. No, not Revelation. Rogue is six sequences.
2: Well, I mean, even Assassin's oh. Creed 3, which I'm playing right now, is only 12.
0: Well, Rogue was always meant to be a sad game because it came out the same. It came out the same day with Unity.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but
0: I mean, the best thing out of like with the Potsy stuff when he does finally kills, um, very Um, Mario literally tells him, it's like because he's shaking his body fiercely. Is like respect the dead." And where you finally like after that, that is assassinations ends with uh respeste uh, yeah. de patsy rest in peace
1: stop in uh pace.
2: Rest i in think
1: peace it's in requiescat man. de pace. In, pace, in pace we'll get it sometime <laughs> if you listen to the holocron histories podcast you know that pronunciation is not our strong suit
0: no not at all <sighs>
2: That is okay. Um so any other thoughts about the first kind of act of this game, Ben, if you have anything you want to share?
0: I mean, it's just literally about um a young man literally everything is taken away from him and him just learning how to survive on mm. his own. So, I mean, it's a like out of the Assassin's Creed series, the Ezio trilogy is by far my favorite. Because we see him start with nothing and grow as a person and then as a mentor for other assassins down the road.
2: Mm. That's a really good point. And something I've been really kind of reflecting on this whole episode so far is how many of our assassins have a similar story to this, right? Like so many of them lose everything and have to build it all back. And they all do it in so different ways. They all react to that trauma and everything they go to with completely different personalities. And I just really appreciate that because it reflects the diversity of like what it means to be a human in our world. Um, We're all different. Nobody's going to react to everything the same way. And I just really appreciate that, that they can like portray that so accurately.
0: The only one I would say that doesn't apply to really is Edward because he didn't really have much to begin with when you start the game
1: he kind of loses himself
0: he loses himself but he doesn't lose anything of like material
1: that's true um i will also say with some of the potsy uh, assassinations you do learn that etzio is a man for the drama in that i mean he hangs francesco's body from like <coughs> because he the church like
0: And what's funny is all the assassinations that you do if you read the actual like Animus profile and you go and look it up online or like in a history book that's exactly how they died like he was hung from um from that tower in Florence
2: That's interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um I, I was going to say he definitely has a flair for the dramatic and flamboyant. That is for sure.
1: <laughs> he kills, but he kills it in style.
2: 100 percent he's got to have that cape
1: yeah which you know connor to his like in retrospect connor's just like okay you're dead bye
2: yeah connor is like i don't care how you do it as long as you're dead shoot shoot the flying demon malaka 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 i get the sense you two are ill fit for whatever it is you're plotting
1: (laughs) this one takes us for a fool brother We, sons of Ragnar, have this well under
2: control. No, we do not. Sons of Ragnar, I know of many, but never have I heard of dull and duller. So welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast, but not the lore of Assassin's Creed. So the first thing I have to tell you is that the best way to support us is to join our Patreon. We have multiple tiers starting all the way down at $5 per month and going all the way up to like $100 per month. You can support us anywhere in between that range. We've got all different kinds of rewards and one of our rewards is a monthly patron episode where if you sign up at a certain tier or higher you get to come on the show with us once per month and so we are starting patron episodes in february which is in just a few weeks we've got one patron at that tier so far so if you also want to join us on the show make sure you join the patreon by the end of january Now, if you can't support us financially, the second best way to support us is to leave us a rating or a review. Now, I do have a review to read. And just as a reminder, if you leave us a five star review that has some nice words, things to say about that you appreciate about the show, we will read it out on the show. So this one is from Anime 1984, and they say the best podcast, five stars. Love hearing you guys at work. It blows my mind with the history i love all of the games thanks thank you so much anime 1984 we so appreciate your review um reviews really show other people that may be new to looking for an assassin's creed podcast that we're a good one out there so if you haven't left us a review or a rating yet definitely hop over to Apple or Spotify and drop one. And then the last thing, one of the next, the last thing I have to talk about in the mid break is our discord server. We have a server. All three of us are on there. Um, It's called the cups podcasting and more server. It's the home of all of our shows. Um, So it's my favorite place on the internet. Great place to come hang out. You can also join the Robots radio server, though, if you are looking for like a new podcast and just kind of need another one to fill your time. There are so many amazing podcasts in that server. So definitely check that out, too. And then the last thing I want to talk about is my playthrough. So I am still in Assassin's Creed 3. I know I said I wanted to get through it by before 2023. That did not happen. Um, but I am almost done with Assassin's Creed 3. I have like one or two more sequences left. It's it's in the end game. I'm in a bunch of ship combat. It's been interesting i don't hate Haytham. i really thought i was going to just like totally hate him and that he was going to be like uh can't stand this character um but i don't hate him he has he has a point and especially like he he was talking about the revolution one time and um was talking about how like, okay, well, the people that are like the founders of of this revolution, the people that are leading it, like they are not the common men. They are not regular everyday people. Like they're protecting their interests. um And that's so true and is a way that I didn't really think about it. And so I, I like Hatham. I mean, that may be a controversial hot take. I also kind of think he is... I I don't know if I should say that he's like an anti-hero, but he definitely is not just like the bad guy. He's not just like this fully evil villain who is like the worst person ever. Like he's no Rodrigo Borgia. He's no Patsy. He's a lot more complicated than that. What do y'all think about Haytham?
1: I think Haytham would fit in great in the Song of Ice and Fire universe for that kind of like, Gray morality. I do think that he raises a lot of valid points. And I think that when you learn about Edward, Haytham makes a lot more sense. And like, especially who Hatham is mentored by after his father. And, you know, Edward is kind of just Edward is a do whatever you want kind of person, whereas haytham Hatham very much thinks about the consequences of his actions. Yes, he's a Templar. Yes, he wants the goal of world domination and control. But it's to the point like Haytham doesn't want to cause unnecessary suffering to get his control, which in a lot of ways, I think, makes him a bad Templar, but a more compelling and sympathetic villain.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there, Austin. Like you get to pl- you play as Haytham for a good like third of the game. And three. So, like you get to really understand him as a character. But, yeah, like if you find out like more of his past, like what happened up with his upbringing and the reason why he is, it makes sense. And, yeah, I agree. like he he's he is a bad Templar. He does want to do the control, but he also doesn't want to have chaotic suffering, like what most Templars achieve, typically with revolution, war, and whatnot. Because what happened with his uh, sister, right? It was a sister, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. like he's not, I, I like Hatham. like yes, he's a bad quote unquote, bad guy, but he's also not a true bad guy.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, Austin, it's funny you brought up a song of Ice and Fire because I was gonna say, I feel like Hatham and Solus would be best friends for life. like BFF for real.
1: You heard it here first, folks. Solus is a Templar. (laughs) An Assassin's Creed Templar, not a Dragon Age Templar.
2: I mean, I mean, I mean... It tracks.
1: Yeah. I also think, like, for me, the main antagonist of Assassin's Creed 3, and I know we're getting a little off of our topic here, but the main antagonist of Assassin's Creed 3 is Charles Lee. 100%. Hatham is the Grand Master of the Templar Order, but he is not the villain. He
0: he takes it way above every everyone in the Templar Order in the colonies.
2: Of the two, Hatham and Lee, only one of them physically attacks a child. And that would not be Hatham. You're not a good guy if you attack a kid. Well, I don't want us to get too off topic since we are supposed to be talking about Ezio. Um, but unless... Y'all have anything else to add about the middle of the show? We can get back into the lore. Me, Hatham. I come in peace. Why are you speaking so slow? Sorry. What?
1: Um, I, I was told you could train me. No. Go away! I'm not leaving! Bianca!
2: Bianca! Is everything all right? What do you think? Look at this place! And poor Bianca. If something's happened to her... Aha! Oh, my darling. Thank God you're all right. Ezio, meet Bianca. Bianca, Ezio, charmed.
1: So Ezio has discovered this plot in Venice and he decides to go there. Uh, he decides to leave and he's accompanied by Leonardo da Vinci as they travel to Venice in one of the most annoying cart minigames in the entire series. So after you do the most annoying cart minigame in the entire series, you do stop in the city of Flori. Uh, where Ezio assists and flirts with none other than Caterina Sforza, who is, like, the Duchess of Flory. I don't know what their official noble title is, but she is married to the ruler of Flory, but she really rules it, and they flirt and do all that, and we see more of Ezio's uh, charisma, which is kind of, like, a theme in the games. Like, Ezio meets a woman and is like, hair hey, is my charm. I am Italian. And from Florence, look at me, I'm Ezio, which I guess it works for him.
2: It it works. It works. It would work on me. Like, it it makes sense.
1: Ezio is the kind of man that's like, you know, yes, I'm chivalrous and I treat women with respect, but I'm not a dick about it. But anyway, so while Ezio is in Venice, when he finally gets there, uh, he immediately like goes like, okay, where are the Templars? Oh, they're in this stronghold. Let me go. I'm just going to go do it. Which he uh, scales it and realizes, oh, crap. They're like, like the Templars are not incompetent. Sometimes they think about, hey, how would we stop an assassin from getting into here? Well, let's not make our walls climbable. Yeah, yeah they does. thought
0: that through pretty good. <laughs> yeah.
1: But he does uh, meet up with the uh, Venetian Thieves Guild where he meets their leader, Antonio, who they devise a plan to get into there and they teach him how to like climb better, which is like, I don't know how the physics of this work. If you would actually be able to like propel yourself forward and like jump, like I feel like you would jump out from the wall and not really like shoot yourself forward. You know what I mean? But then again, we're talking about a game series where people drop hundreds of feet into a bale of hay and are fine. So, you know, it is what it is.
0: What's physics?
1: <laughs> Displacement. The fact that if you f- when you drop a penny from that height, it splits people in half, you know, like none of that matters. So Ezio learns. He They plan this whole attack, and they assassinate the first Templar from the Bombardio family, Emilio. He uh, kills him, and he learns that there's another Templar meeting happening. And he sees another Templar, who he learns is Carlo Grimaldi. So Ezio then goes and tags along this meeting, which is with none other than the Spaniard, comes to Florence. And he learns that they are ready to assassinate The Doge, which um, is spelled like Doge, like the Doge Dog, which I just, that's all I can think about now. So they learn of a plan to assassinate basically the leader of Venice. And so he works with the Thieves Guild again to prevent this. Uh, This is the mission where you have to fly Leonardo's flying machine with all the fires, which if you listen to our podcast regularly, one, there is a sound from that early mission that lives in my head rent free, and that I have nightmares about. It,
2: it is, is one of our uh, break sounds before the break, um, or or after. I can't remember. Yes,
0: and then fun fact: that flying machine was a legit invention made by Leonardo da Vinci.
1: Yes, another actual historical thing. <laughs>
2: I don't know if it actually um, flew as far as it does in the game. (laughs) No,
1: I doubt that. (laughs) But for it, you know, we just made a lot of fun of the physics. But for like just the general principle, the idea of having heat lift something up is not that absurd of an idea. It wouldn't quite work like that. But it's not that absurd.
0: Yeah, it's somewhat it's it's logical because heat rises and it's made of paper and wood. So it makes sense. But like, would it actually work in like real life, depending on your weight? Probably not. Depends on the person, really.
1: Yeah, it really I think it does depend on the person and like the laws of motion would still apply there. And so like as you're going down and up, you're motion, would, the rate at which you fall would be a lot faster than what it is in the game. Also, like, Ezio should have died in the first attempt. Like, when he crashes. My favorite part of that mission is when you end it and your little, and the flying machine is on fire. Because you've been flying over all these fires. But anyway, so he goes in and he attempts to prevent the assassination of the Doge, but he does not do that. And But he does kill Carlo Grimaldi, but this is a mistake because the Doge basically comes out and says, like, you, you killed me, which everyone thinks that Ezio killed him. So he's now, once again, a wanted man. Um, But while he's there, he does learn that, basically, Marco Bombardio becomes Doge, and he's now the new Templar Doge. And so they have this whole plan where it's Carnival in... The, in Venice, so everyone's wearing a mask so you have to go around and infiltrate basically the Doge's party and this is where you get the hidden gun and you use that to kill Marco at his party and do that which, the hidden gun was awesome, but the more I learned about like how blades actually work it's impossible like, oh, without a doubt. There's, there's no way it would ever work
0: but you have to admit, it was probably the best cinematic trailer that we've gotten from the franchise.
1: Yes, because you do. You see that m- mission in the cinematic trailer where he like pulls the gun and shoots him, which is interesting because like firearms were not really that big of a thing by this point. So this would be like really headed technology. But we do learn from later that Altair actually did develop this because the Apple showed him future designs. So that's where they got it. It was in Altair's codex. Sci-fi magic. The Force. Oh, wrong podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So after Ezio kills him, he has to finish down and hunt down the last of them, which is Silvio and his bond bodyguard uh, Dante. And I titled this section in the notes, especially for Shelby, because we are about to meet one of her favorite characters. And the title of the section is Enter Bartolomeo. And so uh, Ezio infiltrates what's called the Arsenal, which I think is like a military district within the city of Venice. And with the help of none other than Bartolomeo and his magical sword. It's not actually magical, but it's magic in our heart. Uh, Bianca. They basically cause trouble in the district and they bring out Silvio and Dante and assassinate them both. Though they learn that they the Templar sent a boat to the island of Cyprus to retrieve one of the pieces of Eden from the prophecy. And yeah, that's really where we get there. So we have to stop and let... Shelby, tell us how much she loves Bartolomeo.
2: Thank you. I do love him a lot. Um, I just really loved his entrance. Like it's the definition of BDE. If you haven't heard of that, you can look it up on the internet. I'm not going to say it on the show. Um, but it was also really funny to me. There's two things that are really funny. First is Ezio's reaction when he's just like screaming about his sword, right? And he's like, oh, she's okay. She's okay. And then he's like, oh, Ezio, this is Bianca. And Ezio's just like charmed. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, whatever, what is happening? It's so funny. Sword.
1: He pushes the sword out of his way. <laughs> charmed (laughs)
2: yeah um so i think that's just hilarious but the other thing that was funny to me is if you play dragon age you would you would know that one of the other most iconic characters in that game series also has a weapon that is also named bianca um I would assume Bartolomeo's is named after a woman that he like knew. Um, Verex obviously is, but um, yeah. So that little connection was just really, really fun to me when I was first getting into the series.
1: Yeah. But so yes, it was, there are lots of colorful characters in this game, which I think really like really, I think is what sets the tone of Assassin's Creed. Like, Assassin's Creed one kind of introduces us to the series, but I think Assassin's Creed two is where the series finds it's like tone of the line between ridiculous and serious and historical
0: with at least with game sales two is prob- is where the series really kicked off
1: mm-hmm.
0: is because of the of Ezio and that and hence why Ezio has three games compared to any other character that we have in the entire series. Technically, Altair has two. Actually, yeah, three. He has a PSP game, and he's in Revelations.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like they really perfect that kind of formula of skirting the line between ridiculous and serious. And they very much do it um, in Revelations. I mean, who can forget the um, the when Ezio has to dress as like a jester and like sing his little song? No, he,
0: he dresses... Is uh, he dresses up as a bard a minstrel. yeah yeah a minstrel, yeah, minstrel. Yeah, man, literally and just starts singing random stuff that from his entire from his life that he's done is hysterical
1: the reason that works and I'll, this is a little off topic before we get to like the last kind of part of the episode but the reason that works is it's the same reason that like mike the liar Works is because it is fourth wall breaking. How many of us have literally screamed at the top of our lungs in Assassin's Creed 2 because we get stopped by a freaking minstrel that wants our money, or the beggars in Assassin's Creed 1, or both in Assassin's Creed Revelation? And so Ezio becomes this and he's like very mad about it. And they're like, Oh, you need to like kill a minstrel. And Ezio's like, Gladly.
2: True. It's true.
1: So that's it. But okay, so for the last part that we're going to talk about today, because we are well running out of time, <laughs> um, we could talk about Ezio for days. So Ezio waits for this boat to return. And when it does, he impersonates one of the guards and basically has to walk with the package um, until he meets none other than Rodrigo Borgia. Which I want to talk about this quest too, because this is the first quest where like you have to follow directions from an npc which they do in all the games you have to do it in brotherhood i believe you have to do it in revelation you have to do it in two you have to do it in three with one of the worst quests ever to be played in an entire game which makes me hate paul revere but you know this is another proof like assassin's Creed 2 this story with Ezio really sets like a lot of the tropes and tone of the games going forward so, after you do that, you meet with Rodrigo Borgia, and there is a brief fight until Ezio is aided by assassins Mario Auditori, Machiavelli, Antonio, the head of the Venetian Thieves Guild, Theodora, the courtesan in Venice, uh, Paola, La Volpe. Uh, though they do get the apple, Rodrigo does escape. It is then revealed that they are all assassins and that they have been helping Ezio all along. It is at this point that Machiavelli then inducts Ezio into the assassin and they join and hunt down the remaining codex. And there's more story with the apple, but we'll talk about that next time. And that's really where we get it. And this is really like we see the induction for the assassins. Um, I know a lot of people are controversial about this, but I actually liked the addition of Machiavelli as an assassin. Uh, and just kind of like that way, because at this point in history, Machiavelli is like he's he hasn't ri- written the prince yet, but he is an influential person in Italian politics at this point.
0: I liked it more for the fact because like, like you said, he hasn't written the prince yet. And but when you get to Brotherhood, he literally tells Ezio, oh, one of these days I want to write a book about you that kind of like hinting oh maybe the prince is like somewhat based off of etzio yeah. kind of a thing
2: yeah and i also think that machiavelli from ac2 to brotherhood like he has a much darker tone in the second game uh, or third game second of etzio's games. so i think you see him kind of like going down that darker path but i also think you know they need like the assassins can't always be 100% good and the Templars can't always be 100% bad. Like they need people on both sides that kind of sway the lines like Hatham does for the Templars. They need somebody on the assassin side who's maybe not, not innocent at all. So I think Machiavelli is one, one, one example of that.
1: Right. A hundred percent.
2: Well, I guess that's part one of Ezio's story. His life as a young man, do you have anything else you want to add, either of you?
1: Um, I do just want to kind of pose the question, at least for Ben. We can save it till part two, but just like we always talk about like why you love and hate the character. So since you won't be on part two, Ben, you can tell us now why you love or hate Ezio.
0: Oh, I love Ezio. Like his his games is what really got me more like directly involved with the series. And funny enough, like when I was a sophomore and, Uh, high school like we were doing a class on like the crusades or something like that and uh, i can't remember what the question was because it was well over 10 years ago but um my teacher at the time like asked a question and i answered it correctly and it's like how the heck do you know where that's from because we've never talked about it it's like oh i I learned it from assassin's creed it's like what the heck is that it's like oh it's a game series (laughs) so I mean, I love Ezio more for the fact because, you know, we see him as a noble. He then gets stripped of everything that he holds dear. And then, you know, see him learn the ropes of being an assassin from the get go compared to pre other assassins we get in the later in the games where they already know how to kill. They already know how to defend themselves, where he's learning it for the first time. And, revelations is or brotherhood and revelations are probably my favorite more for the fact you can call down assassins and you have the blood bombs and revelations, which are hilarious.
1: Yeah. I think that really echoes that. And I think one thing that I just went to point out is like Etsy is the only one that we get to watch go from like teenager to old man. And like when I, if you watch the Ember short film, like we literally, if you play the games and watch all the films, we see Ezio from birth to death, which that's a big deal in storytelling. That's a also long time um, to sit with a character. You
0: have the shoddy live action a uh, lineage film, short film they did mm-hmm. about uh, Giovanni, and you do you. That's where you find out how the hidden blade was completely broken when you first get it.
1: I haven't finished that one yet, but I promised Shelby that we would watch them. She does need to watch Embers.
2: I do they're
0: they're both on the Etsy collection
2: yeah we need to watch it before um or do (laughs) um well Ben thanks so much for coming on and guesting this was a blast um we always give all of our guests time at the end of the episode to plug where our listeners can find you um your podcasts your streams all of that so the floor is yours
0: so, yeah, um, like I said at the beginning, you can find me on the Holocron Histories, Star Wars Canon versus Legends with Austin here. And then I have my other show, uh, Wizarding World Lorecast, both part of the Robots Radio Network. You can find me on the Robots Radio Discord, the Cups Podcast and more Discord. And then you can find me on Twitch at Ben of to where I stream both Holocron and Wizarding World. Holocron is at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays and wizarding world is at 10 p.m eastern time on wednesdays
2: awesome thanks again and thank you all for listening to the assassin's creed lore cast we'll see you next week
1: Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, assassins.